Welcome to Tea Smack, home of the Tea Smack. May I take your order? Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Talking Smack, where we talk superheroes, movies, animation, comics, and much, much more. I'm your host, Josh Scar, joined, as always, by my co-host, Alex. Alex, how are you doing? I am doing fantastic. I, I believe that I briefly saw purple hair in two beards. These are things I've never seen before, Josh. Can you tell me what these are? <laughs> well, I, I believe you've seen two of them. Uh, one of them is Beppo, who uh, is making a triumphant return after... My beard looks fantastic, <laughs> doesn't it? <laughs> it really does. It really Thank matches you. the horns quite well. How are the Billy, boats g- bleh, bleh. How are the billy Goats gruff? Oh, I'm tired of their sass. That's pretty damn <laughs> Well, the other beards that Alex was referring to, we are joined by two thirds of I Have Some Notes. We are uh, joined by returning Liam and a uh, first time guest, Scott C. Bourgeois from I Have Some Notes. Scott, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing fantastic. I am super excited to have you guys on, uh, along with Beppo and Alex, of course. But uh, Liam, we have to let you say a few words as well as part of I Have Some Notes. How are you doing? Uh, Yeah, I'm, I'm doing great. Excited to be back. Also, off the top, I just want to say I really uh, enjoyed your guys' uh, Godzilla Minus One review. Uh, that was very on point. Just good good discourse. Thanks for you guys sharing on the socials as well. I'm pretty sure we got that great Canada bump because uh, <laughs> uh, that is our third most downloaded episode of the year now. And that I, I, I assume that's in no small part thanks to you guys. Happy to hear it. So I, I did lie a little bit. Um, I'm going to go off on a little bit of a tangent here just because... I don't know what's going on with you guys in Canada, but we usually have a good like three to six inches of snow around this time of the year. And it's been raining for three straight days. And in the mid 40s, 40 degrees Fahrenheit, it has been absolutely awful the week leading up to Christmas. And I hate it. (laughs) Yeah, I want my snow for Christmas. Now, we're we're up in Edmonton. Uh, Liam and I, and uh, normally this time of year, we're, we're looking at a decent amount of snow, but it's also been abnormally warm. We have very little snow on the ground. It's mostly melted. It's been hovering around like uh, above freezing temperatures. It's uh, it's kind of gross, actually, not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's got big spring vibes, uh, um, not Christmas vibes. No. Yeah. Alex Beppo, I don't know how you guys feel about snow, but we need snow for Christmas. I don't. I, I'm sorry if you don't agree with me. We're just going to move on and hear from Matt and Adam at decaying, decaying with the boys. But if you have something you want to say about some snow, we need a, a little Christmas miracle, some some white powdery stuff on the ground. Feel free to chime in before we hear from Matt and Adam. Here's no? okay. Here's <laughs> the thing. <laughs> here's the thing. I don't mind a white Christmas, but we don't. You don't get that here. You get. Oh, it's snowing on Christmas. Good luck seeing the ground until July. The snow never <laughs> leaves. Once you get it, it never leaves. So for me, it's either I have a cold, dead, ugly winter, and I'm fine with that, and Christmas isn't appealing, or I have a white Christmas, and I'm frozen over till my birthday in May. So it's <laughs> it, there is no happy medium. They don't grace you with just a white Christmas, and then that's it. That so, would be great, Sorry, though. but humbug. <laughs> Well, Alex, you can edit that part out and we'll just hear from Decaying with the Boys. <laughs> well, I was going to apologize because I, after realizing that my shovel actually had a U in the center from being worn out, I bought a new one 
and it hasn't snowed. <laughs> <laughs> so it's your fault. There you go. Yeah, so it's my fault. I got called an elitist at work yesterday because I was complaining about the rain coming down. Like we got a good storm yesterday. And one of my teammates was like, oh, man, only people with snowblowers and people that pay people to plow their driveways love snow this much. And I just came back at him and I was like, you know what? I've had a snowblower for five years. It's the best investment I've ever made. Also, you just recently bought the $800 Lego Titanic set. Go fuck yourself. (laughs) 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 So let's hear from, uh, speaking of combat sports, let's hear from Decane with the boys. Matt and Adam will be right back. (laughs) Welcome back, Judge Jordan. You know who it is. Whoa, 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 Matt. This isn't an episode. This is our promo. Well, what's the promo? It's to tell everybody about our podcast, Came with the Boys. Oh, where you and I get together and talk about craft beer and combat sports and horror movies and whatever else is on our mind? Yeah, from Buckle to Bell, we cover the best combat news in the biz. Oh, yeah, we do do that, don't we? Yeah, every week. Yeah, and you can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, and on YouTube. We're at GayNWTV on all social media. So catch us out there and have a beer with us. Cheers. We have Liam and Scott here from I Have Some Notes, as previously mentioned, because we're here to talk about something that is very prescient in modern cinema, and that is superhero fatigue. Is it real? Is it something that is affecting cinema goers? What is the deal with pulling out my Jerry Seinfeld, apparently? What is the deal with superhero fatigue? Do we have it? Is it something that is affecting us as viewers? We're going to have Liam and Scott got here to talk about it because they had a, a really great episode uh with the flash if you haven't seen it or listened to it i definitely recommend it plus indiana jones and the dial of destiny was a really great episode from them as well and i feel like that's pretty on point with what we're talking about today so i i, I may reference some of the points they bring up in there but liam you came up with a really great structure for this so um i'm gonna bring it bring it into you so you can kind of lay it out how how we're going to discuss this and move into this discussion Sure. Yeah. I just, uh, when I was organizing my notes, I had to kind of break down my thoughts and I just had it as where are all of us personally vis-a-vis superhero fatigue? Uh, what do we, uh, think the main, uh, reasons people might experience this? Uh, and then what's to be done about it was sort of the, the, the loose framework I had. So I guess we'll start with like where, where everyone's at with superhero fatigue. I know I am still, Pretty much all in. Uh, I have seen all the Marvel things. I went and saw uh, the Marvels. Uh, I'm less interested in the DC stuff. But you were the one. You were the yeah, one who I was saw the Marvel. <laughs> You're joking, but we went the second weekend, and there were six people in the theater on like a Friday night. Um, Oof. Yeah, it's and then when I saw Godzilla minus one, it was basically sold out. So it, it's not like a theater's problem. Uh, at least maybe not entirely. Mm-hmm. But no, I'm I'm still I still have an appetite for it. I've seen all the Disney Plus shows. Uh, I I really do like Marvel movies, even though I realize as each one comes out, it it gets a little harder to defend. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm still all in. Uh, Endgame and Infinity War really uh, bought me a lot of goodwill that I'm still riding out. The DC stuff less so. I haven't seen any of the Shazam titles or Black Adam. Both Shazam movies I thought were fine. Shazam 2, not as much because very, very obvious in what they were doing. They they didn't put any nuance into it. But that's neither here nor there for the discussion. Just needed to chime in with that. Alex, where are you on, on your superhero fatigue? I don't care. I mean, <laughs> that's the problem is, is I my personal belief is that 
Kevin Feige had a vision. It was fantastic. He saw the uh, discordant way that films were being released. Everything had its own little place. The X-Men were doing their little thing. Spider-Man was doing his. Batman would show up every five to ten years with a new actor. Superman would attempt to reboot. And he was like, "This is I have a vi- plan, I have a vision. He carried it forth through an acquisition, which is incredible in and of itself. Normally, somebody comes in and you know buys your entire company, ruins everything. Instead, they just gave him more money. But I just I find it really hard to care when I don't feel like there's a purpose and a planner anymore. I mean, when I saw Iron Man in theaters, I remember I had it was a midnight showing. I had burned my hand because I forgot that my uh, I have one of the I had one of those skillets that you can also put in the oven, not just on top of the mm-hmm. stove. Mm-hmm. And so I had made something in that. And of course, I opened the stove. I, and I said, oh, it's a skillet. So I reach in and grab the handle, put it on the stovetop and went, ow, <laughs> blistered, horrible thing, ran, you know, ran to Walgreens, got burned stuff, rubbed it on there. <laughs> and I'm and I'm in the movie theater the entire time with my with my left hand in the air <laughs> because it's throbbing with every heartbeat. And I'm watching this movie going, oh, my God, this is amazing. And then he ends with <laughs> I am Iron Man. It's like, oh, my God. And there's a thing at the end with, you know, you, you think you're the only one out there. And I'm like, oh, my God, they have a vision. They have a plan. This is going to be more stuff. And then Incredible Hulk's been announced and all this stuff. And now I'm looking at it going like, I just don't care anymore. I mean, you don't have a vision or a plan. You're just going to reference casual side stuff and not timing together. And the last four DC movies, it's obvious that they're just – they're only releasing them because they hope to earn back some of their budget and I, whatever. How do you feel about this Beppo? Uh, I'm, I'm a bit in the same boat. I think, I think because end game, the first 10 years, I'm just gonna call it like the first 10 years, the first decade (laughs) was just so well thought out and planned and just, I know a lot of people started going through superhero fatigue before Endgame wrapped everything up, but I think it's because it was so neatly polished and put together that I almost am losing faith in Marvel more now and now because I feel like everything that has come out that I've watched is messy, clunky, not enjoyable or fun. And for me, it's like looking at a star athlete who was like a hero amongst people. And then he tries to come out of retirement and is just trash. Like there's nothing left. And I, the last thing I saw in theaters personally was no way home. That was an incredible experience. Like that was such a cool thing to be a part of. And then the last Marvel thing I watched directly was on Disney Plus. I watched um, Multiverse of Madness and I remember being so excited for that and then being like, okay, yeah, all right, that was a good, that was a good movie. I liked it. (laughs) And the more I sat on it going, oh, okay, maybe, hmm, maybe it wasn't. And then finding all those little pieces of, oh God, this is not what it was supposed to be. And this is somebody who is not even like diving into the background stuff. You could just tell, like this was supposed to be something real different. And I can just tell that the actors, the directors, people are starting to hate doing this. I mean, heck, even some of the interviews of like Benedict Dumbledumble and everything, it just, they're they're just kind of done. And I am too. 
I have an idea of what I wish could have been done, but I'll save that for later. <laughs> I just don't have enthusiasm. To your point about the directors, uh, Nia DaCosta has somewhat infamously come out against like the production process that Marvel had for the Marvels. I believe she even like somewhat disowned it in an interview. I forget exactly where, but she said something to the effect of like, this is a Kevin Feige production. Like I'm, I was just here to tell the actors where to stand. Everything else was essentially Kevin Feige. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I don't think you're off there. Um, I, I I will argue, and maybe Alex would back me up on this, that Multiverse of Madness is probably, besides the Eternals for all its faults, uh, Multiverse of Madness is probably the most like, oh, a director directed this. Like it, it's a Sam Raimi mm. film. You you can uh, tell from from the visuals. You can be like, this is a Sam it, Raimi joint. Mm. I could counteract that, but I don't know if that's what this podcast is about tonight. <laughs> oh, I'm interested can, in hearing this because because uh, I, I, I know the script was not completely his. He did a last minute. The script just, wasn't the script. Yeah, wasn't was Scott his Derrickson, his, wasn't his it? script got trashed. His script got trashed. And it wasn't until the, the very end that they let him put in a couple things. Here's oh. the thing is that this was not a Sam Raimi film. This was a movie that Sam Raimi got to guest direct a couple of scenes for. <laughs> Just because the editing was reminiscent of a Sam Raimi film doesn't mean that it was. Think, here's my example. Think back to the first Ant-Man that was supposed to be directed by Edgar Wright. It was not. He got he left because he was fucking done with that shit. But there were two scenes in the whole movie that kept Edgar's right editing style in it. And I was like, oh, I could tell that this was probably left over from the Edgar Wright script because it very much feels like him. I would argue that the movie was not a Sam Raimi film, but it had sections where his actual... uh, What's the word I'm looking for? His actual, like style came out his aesthetic well no because you can copy an aesthetic but like when you truly have a a filmmaker's style you can tell it's theirs uh and for me that's only for a couple of the scenes uh really in the whole movie it's just sprinkled in otherwise but that's uh yeah sorry tangent no no, that, no no that's great uh scott how about you it's hard to say that it's specifically superhero fatigue because it's a kind of fatigue that applies to a lot of big studio produced blockbusters nowadays i'm tired of movies as mm-hmm. products and mm-hmm. uh more and more superhero movies are just content basically now and that's not great because it's very safe rote paint by numbers bland filmmaking that's just churned out to appeal to the broadest amount of people possible that has very little in the way of artistic merit and it's kind of gross and that's what the studios want more and more and more of and that's why we're seeing it more and more with the big properties like like the superhero movies we're going to start seeing it now that barbie was a hit we're going to start seeing that mattel shared universe guys and that's going to be the same thing. <laughs> like it's, yeah. that's what I'm tired of. They said they had 27 properties yeah. that they, they were ready and willing to run with. I also like that distinction, Scott, because it, it sort of lets the concept of superheroes off the hook a little because 
there is superhero media that there is still an appetite for yeah. and is still pretty awesome. Like Invincible the, was dope. The There's lots of great superhero video games. All the Spider-Verse um, movies, people are crazy for them. Yeah, though I would count those among part of they're they're the best of the things still contributing to superhero. <laughs> Fair <thinking>. enough. <laughs> um, they're just the best uh, corporate product to be churned out. Um, but like even even within like there's still an appetite for superheroes in comic books. So yeah. I think that's a, that's a really good distinction. To I make. will say that because the superhero movies are the most like the biggest, most visible thing right mm-hmm. now that falls under that category. I can see why people are saying it's the superheroes that are the problem when it's yes. it's actually the t- the style of movie itself. That's the problem. Agreed. Well, something that I had read a while back ago was is always that Hollywood goes in waves of trying to cash in what's popular. I mean, when's the last time we had, we had like two or three actual Westerns in a year. You, the forties and fifties and sixties were nothing but Westerns and it all faded out. Uh, CBS famously in the late sixties, early seventies canceled a bunch of Western TV shows because they said they were trying to get rid of the Prairie audience and they were moving away from Gunsmoke, which was on, tw- which had been on like 20 years and was still in like a top 10 production and green acres and all that stuff. They canceled Lassie. I mean, you know, and then we had in the late 70s, early 80s, the raunchy teen comedy of, you know, Porky's Animal House that kind of faded and they came back with Animal um, with American Pie and all that stuff. And that kind of faded away. How many, you know, how many American beauties did we see for a while? Lord knows that the that the mid 90s was everyone trying to do a Pulp Fiction. We had a good run of 15 years of of, of shared universe. I'm not surprised that at this point people are just kind of done with it. We built to something. It, the audience showed up time and time again to something. And we got this lovely halo effect of the, you know, with the DC of like, of, you know, Wonder Woman being huge and them trying to do something with Shazam and build something. But then we saw the abomination that was either version of the justice league. And <laughs> what's left to rebuild. It's obvious. There's no, there's no longer a plan. Does, is anyone going to really show up in 2025 for James Gunn's Superman? This guy right here. <laughs> you don't Sorry. count. You're an elitist. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an elitist with a snowboard. <laughs> uh, I, I I fully understand uh, what you're saying, Alex, uh, Beppo, everyone. I, I'm I'm in the same boat as Liam, though. I'm still fully on board because I do have hope and faith that they can course correct, but I do have a little bit of a toe in like Scott's boat where it, I do feel like it's more just like franchise fatigue and everyone kind of seeing through the griminess of the Hollywood executives being like, we need this color by numbers, transformers movie. We need this color by numbers, go bots movie. We need this color by numbers, ghostbusters movie. Like I think a lot of this also stems from post end game fatigue where Marvel pretty clearly didn't have a plan yet. And they just decided Let's pick a roster of B to or C to E list characters that similar to what we did with Iron Man, see who everyone latches onto and try and build a universe around those as our new tent poles. But the problem is Marvel didn't really recognize when people responded to them, partly because of the pandemic, maybe majorly because of the pandemic. Shang-Chi, Shang-Chi people to this day, I still hear people talking about how he was uh, Simu Liu at, was fantastic in the role, which I agree. Uh, the bus scene is probably one of the best solo sequences of action we've seen in a Marvel movie since maybe Civil War. I don't even know. It's hard to compare because it does kind of bl- blend together at some point. 
But I do think the pandemic played a role in what a lot of audiences are willing to go out for now, as well as the boom in the streaming bubble, because people are now willing to wait. And I think that that all plays a factor. Plus, the comfort shows like how many times are people going to be watching friends in the office between like HBO and Peacock instead of watching something new because there is now a whole there's an aura around new content that it's all just the same and it's fine. I, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of going off in a few different directions here, but I do think that there is room to bring it everything back. But is is that going to bring back the box office success of even a Spider-Man No Way Home. Like one thing we can discuss here is what what is it that brings audiences out for these things anymore? Because the Marvels went from Captain Marvel being a $1 billion movie in 2019 to the Marvels maybe walking away with a global market of like 240 million, I think. Uh, domestically, 46 million globally 203 million so uh, a net loss in a sequel that i think had a lot going for it i i do think that again to the the point of streaming you you kind of did have to see a little bit of at least ms marvel to know what was going on in this plus endgame but if you watched wandavision you also knew what happened with monica rambo and her mom so there, there's a whole like storytelling thing that's happening here but the event of these three characters coming together wasn't enough unlike bringing three Spider-Men together, which that's an apples and oranges comparison. But mm -hmm. I do think it's a comparison that can be made to, to some extent. I think one of the problems with a lot of the modern Marvel, specifically Marvel uh, movies as well, is that they've, they've stumbled into the problem that the comic books have in <laughs> that there is no good jumping on point. And if you've missed something, you have no idea what's going on because the, the story has become so convoluted and it was easy in the buildup to Endgame and Infinity War because there was only so many things you kind of had to follow. Whereas now it's like, oh, well, you have to have watched like these five movies and these two television series in order to even have a clue what's going on in this movie. And if you don't watch this movie, you're going to have no idea what's going on with the big crossover event. And it's like, I'm, I'm tired. I don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's so funny, too, because like the lesson is there from history of comic books. Yes. <laughs> like they, no one, nobody saw them making the same mistake twice. And yet they literally know what the ultimate universe is because we've got Sam Jackson as Nick Fury. Like, <laughs> the, and yet they don't. Nobody was like, oh, hey, maybe this is going to get too convoluted. It's bad. The lack of foresight. For things that are planned years in advance, some of the lack of foresight is baffling. That's a really great comparison and parallel that I hadn't even thought about. Like, I mean, Kevin Feige was there in the death knell in of the the Ultimate Universe, but he was completely movie side. And then Disney bought in 2012 or 2010, whenever that was. So Disney obviously never learns from their mistakes until they're <laughs> on the verge of bankruptcy. But I, I didn't even consider like how the Ultimate Universe, among other things, was just a, a big part of that messy storytelling. Oh, I meant it as it was the solution to messy storytelling. <laughs> then it became its own giant convoluted mess. So they've actually been able to learn it twice or however many crises <laughs> DC had. Like they've, it's proven itself time and time again, a problem with multi volume, multi character storytelling. And yeah, just funny that they, they didn't learn from comics, whatever your point of reference is. 
<laughs> no, that's that's a fantastic point. So Beppo, what would it take for you to see a trailer for a superhero movie that you would just be like, hell yes, I'm getting a, a day one ticket? Oh god. Something that's okay. Something that's a self-contained story and not part of a bigger subplot. Like you were saying, everything, you have to have so much knowledge even going into a single Marvel movie nowadays because you need every movie like you did prior, but now you need all of the TV shows and all this and all that. And like all of the nonsense going on in the background with Marvel, both with like real life actors and actresses getting kind of sus and just the writing not being enjoyable at least to me anymore and a lot of the jokes just falling completely flat like that the whole like i'm so tired of marvel breaking emotional tension with Mm -hmm. a bad joke there are so many good moments in the marvel franchise since the beginning but it's it's become a trope worthy thing now in every movie where it's just like if they had just let the actors act and sit on a moment it would be so incredible but then they have to make an awkward joke and ruin the tension and ruin the moment sorry i'm 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 really just i i'm tired (laughs) 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 to to put it like even jokingly like yeah i would do uh, anything for she hulk for sure. But honestly, I just want a second season. I want it to be self-contained. I don't want it to be part of a multiverse thing. I don't want to be part of a Thanos number two. I don't want any of that. I just want it to be, I want it to be funnier. I want it to be Arrested Development, but with Jennifer (laughs) Walters. This is what I want for a She-Hulk show. Desperately. (laughs) I... The only thing that could really get me to go see anything outside of Kyle and what you guys brought up earlier, you know, with like Invincible, things that are a little different or a little refreshing. Um, the only thing really that would get me to go to a theater and see it day freaking one, just, I, I don't know. <laughs> a, you, you'll a, know a, it when you a see A one-off. It. A one-off. A one-off that doesn't have a tie-in, that just has great characters and a good story and something i i'm i'm all for i love blood and gore i love blood and gore and body horror give me a superhero horror movie like a legitimate body horror horror movie the fly but it's a superhero oh, get some it. shit like that get i don't a care movie like, in the works um, yeah yeah you you didn't enjoy um professor x's head being snapped and captain marvel being cut in half and uh, the mouth oh, guy, his head exploding. Oh, are you kidding? No, I loved that. I loved that. That was my favorite part of Multiverse of Madness. But then oh, also those moments of like, okay, Scarlet Witch, I love her and I know she's this powerful, but the movie writing is writing her into kind of an impossible. Yeah. I, I'm not going to get into it. I'm not going to get no, into no, it. Stupid <laughs> Mr. Fantastic is in that moment of just yeah. playing all of his cards in front of him, be like, hey, here's our Trump card. And he's like, okay, bye. Oh, just yeah. uh, anyway, so, sorry. I no, you're fine. I had to, I had to poke the <laughs> rage. Well, see, I had to poke the bear because rage. For me, what I want to see in movie theaters actually is coming out next year. It is Deadpool three. It is the only Marvel movie going to be released next year. But it is depending on how Deadpool 3's script filming rating is all released. I am going to know whether or not Ryan Reynolds 
is actually being tied to the mouse. Because yeah. the, f- the first movie came out because he's all but admitted he leaked the trail. Yeah. He leaked the, the trailer. He got they gave him like fifty yep. eight million dollars. At the last minute, they cut off like ten million, and so that's why the ending is so rushed and weird. He's supposed to go in guns blazing, and they give and they said he forgets his thing, uh, his bag and Dupinder's you know taxi. The second one, he said after it came out, he's like, yeah, we kind of rushed this one. It was bigger than I wanted. I want the third one to have a little bit of a lower budget, lower stakes. And the script development for Deadpool three has been very uh, has been very convoluted and had n- no numerous. Uh, issues with it they hired some different writers than one than the first two movies he then had them got rid of them brought back his own writers he then added his own production company to the film to to oversee production of it and that's why they're actually there's so many set leaks is because he's like they try he actually tweeted about saying they wanted me to film in a studio i want to film on set so I ask you guys, please don't share these leaks because i want to film in real world environments with real things i don't want to be in a studio so it seems like Ryan Reynolds is like, I am going to, by sheer force of will, tell the mouse to back off and film a Deadpool 3 that I want to film. When that film is released, if, if it is big and bombastic and the end thing in the, in the act three is a multiverse of insanity with cameos galore and overly done CGI and him shouting big CGI you know, action scene coming up and all that shit that happened in the end of Deadpool 2. I give up because Ryan Reynolds has suffered for almost <laughs> longer than the MCU has been around to be that role. He famously came out and said, I only did X-Men origins after reading the script because I was told by a producer, you don't do this. You're never doing Deadpool ever. And so that's why he filmed it. He filmed it to stake his name on the character in the moment. And if that film is garbage, I officially wash my hands and I go back and watch Van Wilder for the 75th time and think of better days. (laughs) I think the commonality in anything that we were talking about here is finding the event status of these movies because you have Top Gun Maverick from last year, which admittedly I still have not seen. I just I don't know. There's something about it. I just don't want to see it. Uh, You've got Avatar, which is a sequel 15 years in the making. It's the same damn movie, but people love the visuals. And then you have Spider-Man No Way Home, which it's a Spider-Man movie that, that tends to bring people out. Um, <laughs> Plus it's full in itself. Exactly. Hold that thought. I want you to finish this one, but I want to come back to No Way Home. But uh, finish your thought about event movies. Uh, th- that's pretty much where I was going. I was going to say, like, wh- where do we how do we figure out what a proper event is to get people back for superhero movies? Is it a Superman? Is it a Justice League? Or is it going back to smaller scale, the Dark Knight trilogies where everything is separate and then maybe you build towards or you, you do uh, like what the George Miller thing was where uh, in the middle of production of I think it was the Dark Knight or maybe it was the Dark Knight Rises, there were rumors that there was going to be a separate Justice League movie where it was going to be a more comic book accurate universe, but they didn't want to confuse the poor general audiences of like, why are there two different Batman? And now that James Gunn is just like, screw it. We have the Robert Pattinson Batman plus my future Batman. So like what, what is the event status that we can get there? Is it nostalgia? Uh, Liam, go ahead. 
I, I actually don't think it's nostalgia. I think nostalgia is the last cheap ditch effort, the last cash in. Because the thing with Spider-Man movie, yes, that one is big, and and obviously the Spider-Verse stuff is big. But we are at a point now where there are there are Spider-Man movies with live action Spider-Man, there are Spider-Man movies with animated Spider-Man, and there are Spider-Man movies that don't have Spider-Man in them at all. And even the best one of those that what you're, you're frowning. I Alex. just I just realized what you meant. Yeah, and I was like, yup. <laughs> Yeah, Venom and Madam Web and what have you. And so the if you want something as simple as like a Spider-Man movie to be special, you just have to not make so many damn Spider-Man movies. And yeah, there's always going to be the best one, your uh No Way Home, your Spider-Verse, but it's like it it it's like crabs in a bucket. Like it pulls the whole thing down the more you saturate the market and dilute the brand and dilute what's special about it. Uh, and so I think you start with equal parts less of them to make them special uh and what uh, beppo was talking about maybe a little more standalone maybe something that it is its own thing because like the batman pretty sweet movie the suicide squad pretty sweet movie no. spider-verse the first one pretty sweet movie even then like the second spider-verse movie at least in my opinion just degraded the whole experience of the first one because now there's two very special spider-man movies like now there's just two special ones. They're now e- equally less special because there's two of them. Like, yeah. I like steak, but if I eat steak all the time, it's not going to be great, yeah. right? There you go. <laughs> I think to build on all this, um, another thing that would, and, and to tie back to something that Beppo had actually said earlier too, something else that would bring people in is if there was some assurance that it wasn't just going to be the same movie again that you've seen mm-hmm. now like 10, 15 times, bring in a visionary director give them free reign to do their own thing with the character like okay we're gonna make a new superman movie we're gonna hand it to james gunn that's already a a good start but like why not take the leash off sam raimi and give him a new character to play with why not have wes anderson make a movie like yeah a wes anderson superhero let edgar wright make a movie could you imagine what a wes anderson superhero movie would look like you can't but you'd go see it (laughs) Mm-hmm. And and I think that that would help too because right now they bring in these like TV directors without a lot of clout, without a lot of uh, heft, and they kind of like force them to make the movie they want, which is why they end up butting heads with like your Edgar Wrights and stuff because they have opinions and a vision that they want to get through. Let the directors speak for themselves. Let the director develop the story they want to develop and show us the movie they want to show us, and. That would get me into the theater because I'd be interested to see what they could do differently with a character I'm familiar with. I like both your points a lot. And uh, I think one thing that would really help, I recently just finished a rewatch of Hawkeye because I've been trying to get into the Christmas spirit with the lack of snow. (laughs) And Hawkeye, it it relies so much on Haley Steinfeld's way, way to just have chemistry with anyone she's on screen with, which is fantastic. And, but it's, it's so much fun. And I think part of that is because it's not a world ending stakes show. Mm -hmm. Even Mm -hmm. Ms. Marvel gets into a world ending stakes uh, plot point. And I think that's something that these movies don't necessarily need. Like if, if daredevil born again, somehow manages to figure out that like, Oh, the Kingpin's going to, turn into a 60 foot kaiju and destroy new york and swallow the world for some reason get into a battle with galactus it's too much like when you make it a smaller scaled story it becomes more personal because you can easily manipulate that because people can relate to it more 
And I think that's where Hawkeye works really well. I think we talked about this on our Flash episode. Yeah, actually. that was our big consensus we came to on Flash. Yeah, and I, I 100% agree because one of the one of the generally well-loved Spider-Man films was Spider-Man Homecoming. And what are the stakes in that movie? A high-tech thief is trying to steal Tony Stark's plane. Like, that's that's it. That's the mm-hmm. stakes of the movie. Uh, but it's it's low enough stakes that the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man can deal with it. You don't need to call in Thor. It's personal because it turns out it's his new girlfriend's dad who's the high-tech thief. Like, And it, it makes for a compelling and relatable story in a way that fighting Thanos or Galactus or Mephisto just doesn't. <laughs> No, that well, that's reason why Spider-Man is so beloved through the decades and decades he's been with us is because he can go toe to toe with the strongest heroes in the Marvel Universe and hold his own with them. But he's our hometown guy, our next door neighbor, our high school buddy who we've grown up with. And no matter what he's dealing with no matter what is attacking the city be it petty criminals be it kingpin be it you know something crazier like doc ock but still very self-contained we're rooting for him and everything like that and i think that's something that marvel is starting to forget is that not everything has to be cataclysmic and universally like the universe is going to implode on itself we fell in love with these heroes we fell in love with captain america because we fell in love with Steve and we fell in love with who he is and the people around him and the connections that he's made and he's lost. And we could have had, instead of an incredible spy thriller that was the Winter Soldier, we could have had a friendly neighborhood Captain America. And we still would have been the same stakes and we would have been just as invested. And I feel like right now is that there's really nobody left that I really feel that attachment for. Well, and I think part of it is too, is like, I am really loving some of the new characters they're bringing in. And like you said, especially in Hawkeye, it's like, okay, we're getting there. But I almost feel like Marvel is having the DC issue now where originally Marvel would introduce a character and we would have several movies build up to get to know them before the big things executed. DC has always had the problem of its... A DCEU of oh hey we're introducing this character you guys already know them so let's let's do our Avengers movie on the second you know movie <laughs> in kind of a thing I feel like that's kind of what's happening right now with all of the new characters and it's all too fast and technically one could argue yeah but you see them in two TV shows and three movies yeah that all came out in the same year <laughs> Like, you're not giving me time with the characters to fall in love with them and understand their plights and who they are. You're just telling me they're cool or telling me that they're good or telling me they're this. And then that's it. I don't believe it for a second. Like, even the time I've spent with Monica Rambeau, I need more time with her outside of the one TV show where she was very relevant I don't know. Sorry, I'm rambling right now. <laughs> I, I agree with you. I like Ant-Man because I remember the cuteness of him working out things with Antony and the <laughs> Thomas the Tank, Tank Engine fight. It was great. And the second one was wonderful because Michelle Pfeiffer showed up and I will love her forever. 
the third one lost me because it was this tonal disconnect of you. They were trying to set up Cassie to take his spot, but it went from her being a little girl to that. He would do anything for to, he was gone for five years. They got this impassioned hug. And then she's yelling at him in the third movie and there's, they're trying to set it up to give her powers and it's not quite working. And then right at the end of Miss Mar- of, of the Marvels, it's all of a sudden like, yeah, and Scott has a daughter. She can be in our team. It's like, how do you know that she wore the suit? And how do you, why do you have a file Alex, on we've her? we've gone over this. They Shut up, Josh. very detailed <laughs> debriefs. <laughs> I know they have detailed debriefs, but I'm not invested in her other than her relationship to him. But to build her up, they had to tear him down. And that really confused me of like, what has Scott done wrong? And then what, where is this relationship going? And why do we need a young adventures team? Because, you know, Bucky's still out there and the black Panther is still out there because they replaced black Panther. So I, I don't feel a connection with who they're coming up with yet. And I don't have a compelling reason to want mm-hmm. to. And that's usually the problem with legacy characters though and this has always been something within comic book media as a whole is when does it make sense to replace a character? When does it make sense to have it be like a prodigy or not a prodigy, like somebody who's with them, like a wingman, and then they're taking on the mantle. When does it make sense to make it a child? Literally just my dad was Ant-Man and now I am Ant-Man. Uh, and when does it make sense to, well, just make a new character. Why, why are you going to replace a superhero? Just make a new character. I hate that. but when does it make sense to make a new character and marvel's going through that right now of them trying to bring in well iron man is literally dead now so who's going to be the new iron man well captain america is old and decrepit and probably dead now so you know now we need a new captain america and this this, isn't that and blah 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 so they're going through that, which the internet always hates because the internet's never going to be happy no matter who takes the mantle. <laughs> I think the only time it makes sense for you to have a young child ward is if you are a rich billionaire who wears all black <laughs> and then you make sure that the ward is about 12 to 13 and wears a brightly colored outfit to attract bullets. All right. Well, but like a ward, you know, a child, something like that, taking up mommy or daddy's, uh, you know. You, and make sure they're an orphan. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, yeah, because then they can't trace nothing. <laughs> There's no paper trail. I'm the goddamn Batman. Exactly. <laughs> it's interesting you bring up Batman, though, because he's an example of a character who they've James Bonded a few times now. And, yeah. and oh, just yeah. like we're going to do a new Batman movie and we got a new Batman. Hey, this actor is going to be Batman now. And the internet's in immediately outraged because there's a new Batman and this guy's not going to do good. And the movie inevitably does well. You, these characters are timeless. Like yeah. they're, they're timeless figures. They, they can be recast a billion times and you can tell new stories with them. You don't really need to have legacy character versions of them. You could recast Captain America tomorrow and make a new Captain America movie. People would be upset, but they'd get over it. And I understand that when you're trying to create this big overarching shared universe, you can't really do that because obviously that guy is Captain America. But I, I don't understand when it's, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a formula that has proven itself to work. There are still James Bond movies being made today 
with different actors. I'm waiting on that announcement. There are new Batmans coming out every like five years. There's a new guy who's going to be putting on the cowl and the cape. And yet studios seem so reticent to just recast a character and do a new movie. Like why does, why does old tired Harrison Ford need to be Indiana Jones? I I can, (laughs) at least my theory it's, it's for business ghoul reasons. It's because they want to, to show their investors a long-term plan to get return on investment and investing is inherently risk averse practice and making art is uh, risk forward. Uh, and so they they don't they want to know like oh you guys are making nine more Transformers movies great we can bank on this extended universe this like set of five investments that all click together instead of just taking it one at a time and seeing what new trends and new ideas and new opportunities can be spun from any yarn whether it's whole cloth original stuff or what can you do what can this guy do with batman what can this person do with batman and what can this person do with batman has anyone watched uh have yourself a merry little batman on amazon prime yet no. it's a batman animated christmas movie like <laughs> it, it just let i did yeah but but they, they're <laughs> like no we need seven movies in a video game that all one big thing so we can plan our investments a decade in the future because we're corporate business ghouls not interested in art they're interested in turning dollars into more dollars and that's just not how art works yeah to um scott's point just bringing up batman uh it got me thinking because we're talking about no way home is a huge outlier in terms of box office since the pandemic uh alongside top gun maverick and avatar 2 um, the Batman is a pretty forgotten outlier there, too. That was a day and date release back in 2022. Uh, I think it was March 2022. Yep. Uh, domestic domestic gross at the box office was 369 million, 772 million worldwide. For comparison, uh, it actually outperformed Batman v Superman domestically by thirty nine million dollars. Batman v Superman had three hundred and thirty million and globally, Batman v Superman did $874 million, $874 million which is about $100 million less uh, for the Batman. But considering that it's a reboot of a Batman character, it's still pretty impressive that it did that well. Yeah, a reboot for a Batman character who was still technically being played by Ben Affleck in the DCEU. Yep. Like, it's its own thing that's going alongside the fact that Batfleck is still out there being in flash and it's its own thing yeah it's i think its is the keyword there <laughs> that's that's been the baffling thing with dc is like they've they've they chased that first 10 years of marvel high when what they should have been doing is being like here's a here's a unique here's edgar wright's plastic man here's a dark and gritty batman here's kick-ass across the plate wonder woman and not trying to click them together and now what's even more embarrassing is they're, they are still trying to do it. They are still trying to recreate the first 10 years of Marvel with the whole James Gunn thing. That's baffling. And Marvel is trying to recreate the first 10 years of Marvel. And it's like, you all just need to stop. Just just stop it. it does, it's you got, They did it. It was cool. It's done now. Everyone make one movie at a time. I really want to jump ahead 18 months to july 2025 for superman legacy i'm so curious what that box office is going to look like because to what liam just said they're throwing 
the entire kitchen sink into this movie. You've got a Green Lantern, you've got a Hawk Girl, you've got uh, Lois Lane, you've got a Lex Luthor, which I think Lex Luthor was wonderfully cast. I'm spacing on his name now. He played Beast in X-Men, the most recent group of Kelsey bad Grammer? X-Men movies. Yeah, Kelsey no, Grammer. No, 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 no. no X-Men he or, was uh, just Kelsey Grammer was the Beast. We saw yes, it. But there was, he also was... Um, Alexander, uh, Alexander, what the heck was his name? You're talking He's in about the great as well. Yes, Nicholas Holt. Thank you. Thank you, Scott, for cooperating. <laughs> Unlike my team. <laughs> what? That's the only beast I know was Kelsey Grammer. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't see the news. Don't round. you besmirch X-Men First Class. I'm sorry, but that was like. The I last literally didn't good get X-Men to watch movie. First Men First Class. I didn't get to watch any of the new ones. I didn't see First Class or X-Men First Class anything. is from like 2011. How have you not seen that movie? Because I haven't. <laughs> fair, fair. If point. you watch that movie, you get like zero degrees of Kevin Bacon. It's fantastic. Oh my God. No such thing. Now I've lost my train of thought because I was trying to think of Nicholas. Oh, uh, Superman Legacy. Kitchen sink. They're, yeah, they're, they're throwing the literal kitchen sink into this movie because you've got all the Superman tropes plus the Justice League expanded DC universe tropes that they're just like, James Gunn is just saying, we have a, a universe. Here it is. Get used to it. And I am so curious how that's going to perform at the box office because either people are going to love it because of all the cameos or people are going to hate it because they're going to be too damn confused. Uh, Josh, Josh, um, I think you're a little confused. James Gunn just came out and said that the the thing wrong with superhero movies is the amount of cameos in them. He tweeted about mm-hmm. it. Surely these are not cameos. I mean, you don't have Nathan Fillion in a James Gunn movie for a cameo role, right? I mean, that wouldn't have happened four times already, right? Well, I think <laughs> I'm, I'm doing a big Plastic Man stretch here. Uh, one of the things that I've seen that is actually really interesting from the internet is that Superman Legacy called legacy all of these heroes that have been announced are all legacy heroes they're all second generation green lanterns hawk girl what have you they're all second or further down the line superheroes and i'm curious if that is his justification for doing quote-unquote cameos because Mm. they will serve a point with his legacy that superman is dealing with here Um, but that is a big speculation uh, along the lines of a, a, a pretty interesting tidbit that i saw on the internet so i have a random conspiracy theory that i'd like to throw out here aquaman's about to come out and from all tracking it's going to bomb horribly compared to the first one which made like 1.1 billion or something was a huge which that still makes no sense to me i under i can understand captain marvel aquaman makes no sense to me that movie was fun but their their idea of a transition is off-screen explosion to kick (laughs) off an action sequence Oh, yeah. Their big romantic moment is all the fish dying as he kisses a redhead. <laughs> and I'm like, hmm, OK, you're Aquaman and your entire army is dying around you as they spin in a circle as we do this nice circle pan around you. But OK, go ahead and kiss. Although to its credit, it's a better Uncharted and better Indiana Jones movie than either the Uncharted or last two Indiana Jones movies. Woof. Yes. But uh, so my conspiracy theory. Next year, we're getting one Marvel movie. We're getting no DC movies. Do you think they kind of like backdoored, you know, some talking and we're like, hey, hey, listen, our movies are are dying. We've lost around two billion this year off of these movies. Peace Tree for 15 months. We're just going to release Deadpool because Ryan Reynolds demands we release Deadpool at the end of the Wrexham season. So can, other than that, 
can we give the audience a little bit of time to whet the appetite? I, I think that's a, probably a sound guess. Uh, and then using the writer strike as cover. Yeah, and that's what people were suggesting they do after Endgame anyway, is you you kind of dry up the market a little bit, let uh, leg- who Legendary do a really bad blood Bloodshot movie and whatever other bad superhero movies are coming out. I forgot that came out. That was 2021, I think. I don't even mm-hmm. remember. I, I vaguely re- I remember there's the one spot in the, the movie towards the end where he is all black and white and actually looks like the hero in question. But I, I mean, that that's not a I think to, I agree with Liam and you. I think it's a, a very sound theory that probably has some merit because Marvel has or Disney has come out and said that they're going to try and do quality over quantity, which obviously is bullshit with the announcement of <laughs> Maleficent three. Um, <laughs> but there there is something to because my my thing with like even the and I'm going off on a tangent here with the new Star Wars movies. Star Wars was always an event like when in 1999, when the Phantom Menace came out, the first Star Wars movie in almost two decades. And we were getting a whole new trilogy. It was going to be like our own is going to be Gen X millennials own version of Star Wars telling the story of how Anakin became Darth Vader is going to be amazing. And people lined up around the block. Yeah, I my my best friend at the time, his sister was on the front page of our newspaper because she was the first person in line to get tickets. She had camped out for like a week and a half in front of our movie theater. And it was like Star Wars was an event and then Disney bought it. And all of a sudden it's, you've got episode nine, you've or episode whatever, uh, seven. Uh, and then we've got an in-between call and then we've got episode eight and then we've got an in-between call. And they're just like everything did Star Wars every year, even though Star Wars is a merchandising powerhouse, you don't need to have that much Star Wars to make merchandise, but they're like, no, we've, we need to continue to create content and water this shit down for some reason. Yeah, I I don't know. That it's an in, an intent to water it down, but it's an intent to like ring it for all it's worth. Uh, and one of the best examples of it, I think, is the Hobbit trilogy. Like the first three Lord of the Rings movies were once in a lifetime, like cinematic masterpieces. Big risk, right? Because they shot them all at the same time. So like big risk, mm-hmm. big payoff. Everyone loves it, and then just some business ghoul had to be like do it again with an 80 page novel (laughs) and they like dragged poor Guillermo del Toro to make him do it all like and like in what world is that gonna work a second time it it's (laughs) like it might have stuck with Guillermo del Toro but uh they they made a sad tired Peter Jackson oh, right. actually do it. Sorry, Peter Jackson. Sorry, I yeah, <laughs> no, I meant Peter Jackson. It was they're supposed both to be rotund Guillermo, bearded so. guys, but yeah. But he they had tapped Guillermo del Toro to yeah. do it though, which is why you had him on didn't, top of mind. Didn't he just want to make it one movie, and that's one reason why they didn't keep him? Yep. It was two movies. Yeah, he was he was willing to stretch it out to two. Yeah. He um yeah. he had two movies, and everything was getting lined up, and then there was some. There was the lawsuits that were happening around the profits of the original trilogy. And by the time that was all starting to fall apart, they came back and said, listen, we'll, we'll, we'll pay Peter Jackson, we'll pay you, and we'll pay these other rights holders the money we owe you, but you got to make it three. And so he left. Yeah. And not only did they say you have to make it three, you have to make it three, and you have to start filming like next month. Yeah. So they were writing the third script as they were filming. Yeah. God. And so, yeah, it's it's just like for the amount of marketing effort that goes into these movies, like – 
there are teams of marketers in the way that there are teams of creative you know, directors and production designers and whatever. And no one with a marketing background ever stops to be like, hey, do you guys know how trends work? Like no. for all these Marvel movies, even if they were all really good, all felt different, came out at a reasonable pace uh, and didn't require a bunch of interconnected nonsense to understand. Even the best case scenario, at some point, the bubble's going to pop. Like it's been 15 years. If we got an I- two Iron Man movies every mm-hmm. year for 15 years, we'd still be over it. You know what I mean? Iron Man being like that is the benchmark level for quality, not literally two Iron Man movies a year. Uh, But just like two movies as good as Iron Man a year for 15 years, we'd be over it regardless of how bad, if they got bad or complicated or whatever. It's it's just how Mm -hmm. trends work. Exactly. But, Mm -hmm. you know, God forbid there's any sort of just, oh, God. I'm (laughs) sorry. I'm so sorry. I I think I know what you're you're going for. It's like, and it, God forbid there be back. a new idea. God forbid there be any sort of like risk. And what's wild to me, if you look at the the trend of superhero movies in the last 15 years, every time there's a spike in, in audience appetite, it's because somebody took a risk. So like mm-hmm. the original world building of the MCU took a big risk, paid off. Everybody tries to ape it. Marvel starting to get a little played out. Guardians of the Galaxy comes along pretty funny movie with lots of style now every superhero movie is quippy and funny and uh-huh. trying to be a james gunn movie start that starts to peter off people get bored of that you get uh into the spider-verse multiverse fun multiple guys be in multiple places at once now everyone's a, a, a multiverse movie and it's like mm-hmm. the the thing that propels a trend is innovation and risk and yet all these guys want to do is chase the last innovative risky thing that worked when like the smart money is put it on another risk. Like look at a 24. That's how I like. Exactly. I was going to say they, they have some stinkers, but that's the, that's one of the things of risks. That's the, but there's a reason that I absolutely adore a 24 is because they take risks and most of the time it pays off, even if it's a like, that was okay, that was good. Or you get like some of my favorite movies of the last 10 years, you know. When you when you put out five risky movies, three of them might be mid, one of them might be terrible, but one of them is going to knock it out of the park, right? And mm-hmm. it's going to mm-hmm. recoup the cost. For and the other and that used to be the Hollywood business model. Like that, in, especially in the 80s and 90s, that's what studios did is for every, like you said, for every one super blockbuster that could eventually become a franchise you're putting out five other movies that you're taking a risk on like uh i think it might have been you guys that someone tweeted out like a show me a a movie that filled out the box office that's fantastic and sunshine is one of those movies it's a i think it's a really great danny boyle movie and it's a movie that did not do well at the box office but it has found second life in a lot of cult followings and it has uh, just really gained just notoriety for being a beautiful movie, let alone a, a really good movie. That's a that's another thing that's actually hurt uh, the way that the industry kind of used to work with that as well is you because the DVD market has kind of died. Uh, a lot of movies that would have been like second run cult classics that find their audience after they've left theaters and recoup all of that money on dvd sales because suddenly everybody wants the dvd no who's selling the dvd now walmart Mm -hmm. and amazon 
And otherwise, you hope it shows up on streaming. So you you don't get the money return for that. So there's no incentive for them to even take a risk on maybe maybe cashing in on a cult film yep. now. And that's where the streamers have really created a problem, uh, among other things, is they get buried in the other content that they're pushing because they're obviously pushing their own original content, let alone cult not like put it pushing the the big studio stuff that they've been allowed to share on in cases like hulu and netflix well more netflix than hulu now but like now you've got these first party distributors for streamers with disney paramount which i mean they've been around since the cbs all access days and then you've also got peacock and whatever else so and then they're pulling content because taxes and loopholes so like the fact that the physical media market is almost purposefully being dried up to avoid having these uh, cult classics be found. It, it's really annoying because again, how are you going to find movies that like Antonio covers over at the cult worthy other than paying $60 for a DVD anymore, or Blu-ray yeah. uh, because that, that entire market is to your point, Scott is uh, seeming it's almost like collusion that they're just stopping because digital media is the future which i say bullshit well the problem is, is that digital media isn't really the future because paramount's losing billions of dollars netflix is losing billions of dollars they they hope peacock turns a profit by 2025 disney just had to pay out uh to peacock a, a ton of money to buy them out of hulu because they wanted out and and even disney has said that disney plus is not earning money and it probably won't until 2026. Hulu's earning money, and Hulu has earned money because, surprise, surprise, Hulu's the intent of Hulu was the show that was on TV last night. You can watch it the next day. Yeah, you're not creating all necessarily all of these originals. Lost you know, me. you're not creating all these originals. They're spending three hundred million dollars on the next Ryan Reynolds, Dwayne Johnson film. Which, by the way, last week they announced two Ryan Reynolds Netflix films. Yeah. <laughs> They're supposed to be like two hundred million dollars each, at least, for the cast. Which I love Ryan Reynolds. I'm just using him as an example of a very expensive actor. <laughs> Please make Deadpool three really good. I love you. <laughs> so, I I don't know because the streaming model to me, to use the day and date example. I don't know what's true and what's not. Five Nights at Freddy's is, is the second biggest film of this past of the past like three months, and it came out the same day on Peacock, and that's where I watched it. But it still made one hundred and eighty million dollars in theaters. I, I I don't know. So I don't know. All I know is I'm sad. <laughs> <laughs> Streamers have definitely ruined a lot of the. Uh... The mystique, especially uh, for physical media, I still collect physical media as much as I can because I, I fully subscribe to the fact that there will be a digital apocalypse at some point. And it, it I'm not having my games and my movies just taken away from me because I decided to trust someone to let me lease a digital copy of their movie. Uh, I would rather own the physical copy. But um, with... We'll we'll start to try and kind of wrap up here. Uh, I think I think the main consensus that we've come to is that people want original ideas. People want standalone. They don't necessarily mm -hmm. want franchises. Their their franchise fatigue, I think, is a real thing because Lord knows for me, especially with DC right now, where uh, as someone who I don't consider myself part of the general audience because I do this sort of stuff for the podcast where I, I follow different trends and see what people are talking about. Um, so I, I know that like DC is ending their 
for lack of a better word, Snyderverse and moving into the James Gunn DCU. But general audiences may not know that. So they see Aquaman coming out. And they're like, oh, I wonder who will show up in Aquaman. Will it be Ben Affleck? Will it be Henry Cavill? Will it be The Rock? Who knows? Probably none of them because it. this is going to be the last hurrah for the Snyderverse, for lack of a better <laughs> word. Or maybe the Clooneyverse, uh, from what I understand about The Flash. Um, <laughs> which that, that would be an event unto itself for me. I would love to see a sequel to Batman and Robin. But I, I think originality and taking risks are are fantastic points to make because Barbie, as we mentioned earlier is, yeah, is like Barbie's the big one. It is the, it is the paradigm right now of what happens when you let someone take a risk and make a movie that is based on mm-hmm. a familiar property, but they take it in a completely different direction because when they announced Barbie and especially with Margot Robbie, who like, she's a fantastic actress. She has, earned her nominations and awards that she has won. But like she is very commercial as well right now. And obviously so is the Barbie property. So I'm thinking they're just going to do that Disney original Disney channel, oh. original movie with the Tyra it, Banks where like, Oh, my doll came to life and oh look at the shenanigans that are happening. It was very easy to go in very cynical. In fact, uh, when I went to go see it in theater, uh, we saw it very first showing on a Thursday afternoon, my friend and I, and we went in with literally zero. We thought we were just going to watch it and kind of laugh and leave for the day. And it ended up being mm-hmm. one of my favorite movies I've seen in a long time. Like, mm-hmm. But I'm very much the demographic for it, too. This film really <laughs> spoke to me on many levels. So, Did you Barbenheimer it or just <laughs> No, no. I didn't even know the Barbenheimer thing was a thing till I got home. And now I wish I did because, <laughs> man, enough. that would have been an experience. <laughs> I did Barbenheimer it. My friend wanted to go see both just to say that he did the experience and he wanted to go with someone. And he invited me. And I happened to be free that day. And we watched them back to back. And it was a the, lot the, of Maybe fun. there's something to that when we were talking yeah. about event movies. Maybe studios don't get to decide <laughs> what the event movie is. Like, oh, well, that's trying, what they're trying they don't to get do to. after Barbenheimer. <laughs> they're like, oh, hey, go see hashtag these two movies. It's like, but no, F you. We're, this is. What was it? Uh, wasn't it Saw Patrol? Because the Paw Saw Patrol, Patrol yep. and Saw yep. 10 was releasing at the same time. I'm going to take my kids to go see Paw Patrol and then follow it with Saw 10 with my kids. <laughs> yeah. That's the perfect pairing of movies. It, right? it really does speak to how, like, I, I truly think there is a cultural appetite and consensus that is completely disconnected to what marketers think. Evidence won by the Saw Patrol thing, mm-hmm. but also the opposite of Saw Patrol, which was <laughs> them trying to put Morbius into theaters a second time because they thought all the online chatter <laughs> was because people loved Morbius. Like, it's what a tone deaf, like, t- way to tell on yourself that you don't get it. You don't get the joke. <laughs> but it's Morbin time. That's that's Sony. I think I'm pretty sure everyone in this chat right now could run Sony better than Sony is being run <laughs> as it currently is. Oh, yeah. But I, I I wholeheartedly agree with everything. I, I don't think anyone listening would disagree that a, an event movie is so and you can't replicate it like that's it's not something that you can just it's not lightning in a bottle. You can't just catch it. And that's where I think that a lot of this is going to go on deaf ears from the bean counters is because they're not willing to take those risks um, there. I saw a really great meme after Black Panther hit one billion dollars they're like okay so we've got black panther what is it that made this movie work and one of the like 
bean counters at the table for this meeting goes, he's a cat and like brilliant. And so they're like, they, the next thing is like coming soon, Garfield, Heathcliff and whatever else. <laughs> like, like, yeah, let's, they, they just take yeah. the wrong thing from these, from these phenomenons. And it just doesn't go the way they think it will, because it's not what the audiences want. Is that why we're getting Garfield and Craven the Hunter next year? <laughs> oh God! <laughs> Sony's just doing it because they need to keep the Spider-Man license. They they just got to milk all that for what it is. Craven the Hunger with lasagna. Ex- exactly. <laughs> Hash. That's the hashtag. Garfield's last hunt. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Scott Liam, thank you so much for for taking the time to be here. Feel free to plug. I have some notes. Uh, yeah, you can follow us uh, at I have some notes on X at I have some notes pod on Instagram uh, or just head over to I have some notes dot com. Follow our link tree because really where we want to see you is over in our discord. We're having a great chat uh, and a couple channels over there. Uh, Scott's always part of it or um, Scott. Scott is always part of it. But um, well, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Josh is always part of it is what I was trying to say. Um, and, uh, <laughs> yeah. You can also uh, check us out at patreon.com slash I have some notes if you want to give us a little bit of your filthy, filthy loonies. <laughs> I thought you guys called them loonies. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know what you have in the States. I just, it's some sort of loot. You have like Benjamins or something. I don't know. We, we have loot, we have loot crates. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I can't recommend I have some notes enough and I, I can't uh, mention again how much I appreciate you guys being here. Like I said, it's, it's, uh, an honor truly to have you guys on here. Uh, I've been listening to you guys for a long time. And uh, the fact that I've had the, I have some notes team on twice for this podcast is just truly awesome for me. Uh, it's one of my favorite podcasts and uh, it's just a, a great community you guys have in the, the discord as well. Oh, thanks so oh, much. Thank you. Uh, Alex, you want to plug our discord? Yes, we have a discord, which Josh talks about his snowblower on it's tsmackpod <laughs> at gmail.com. You can actually see it in the link below. You'll also frequently see Matt there. What Matt does is he talks about his lack of a snowblower, and <laughs> it's a fascinating conversation. So please join us. Matt is not us. the one with the Titanic Lego set either. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know who has that. <laughs> and you can follow us on all the social media websites uh, at Talking Smack Pod, Blue Sky, Instagram, Threads, Hive Social, Post News, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, and of course, Lonnie's website. Email us at tsmackpod at gmail.com. Thank you to Leo Allen for our musical themes. Hey, Beppo. Ash. <laughs> thank you for our avatars, our original avatars. And thank you to Retro Ale Studios for our Ricky avatar. Please like, subscribe, rate, review the podcast on your podcatcher of choice. It goes a long way for us. And most importantly, thanks, everyone, so much for listening. T-Smack. I love T-Smack. Is it true? Mm-hmm. I do, I do. Ooh. Rage! <laughs> Rage! <laughs>